I have probably tried recording this introduction way too many times that I would like to admit to, but here we are. Uh, I took a few weeks off from recording, from editing, from anything like that. It has been an extremely difficult time for my family, for myself, and for our community. We've actually lost several people in the past couple of weeks, and attending those services and being there for friends and family members has been really, really heavy on my heart, and just wanting to show up in a different capacity, in a different way, has been really important for me. So I had to step away, um, and I'm doing so unapologetically. I don't think that any of us should have to apologize when we're having to shift gears, And as someone who keeps her plate very, very full, I wear many different hats, have many different titles, and I'm always doing something. And I have to give myself grace and I have to be forgiving to myself when it comes to what looks like productivity or success. And for me, it's always relied really heavily in the physical aspect of all of it, training, exercising, working out, teaching classes, and making sure that I'm checking all the things off my to my to-do list. A true Enneagram 3, that's where I feel like a a majority of my value lies in is getting the things done. Um, But the past week definitely showed me that it is okay to sit still. It is okay to shift gears and put your energy and your focus into other things that are going to be extremely important at the very end of all of this, this entire journey. And that's the connection and the love and the support of friends and family and being there for them. And that's what was going on the past couple of weeks. But now that I'm back and shifting gears into work, I'm going to start pushing out some more episodes. I've had a few recordings already done. I was just needing to do the editing and get them out to you guys. So I don't know. We'll see. We'll see where this goes. We'll see if, uh, if you guys end up getting a few episodes this week or if we're just going to stick with one. I don't know. I'm going to be honest. I don't know. Uh, Anyways, with all that being said, today's episode is actually really perfect. This individual, I've been so blessed to be able to be around her in her presence, have her take my turn up class and just working with other projects with her and within our community and going back and listening to this episode. It was, you know, she's refreshing. She is gorgeous and beautiful and this amazing soul. And when you hear her, it's exactly how she carries herself in real life. I mean, she's just so awesome. And being able to just re-listen to the conversation that we had was really helpful in helping me ground and helping me refocus. So, I mean, without further ado, let's get into it. Be your biggest fan. And when things are really tough and they're really rough and nothing's working, but there's something inside of you that says, I just have to follow that because you don't know who you this is Cola Shippentower. Some people know me for my professional fight career in MMA or even my journey with jiu-jitsu and pro grappling. Others know me for my advocacy for everything indigenous. And some know me for my unique ability of pissing people off while cultivating change at the same time. My goal is not to make everyone mad though. I want to spark your imagination through your heart and mind while encouraging, challenging, and even empowering you to think differently with compassion and love. I don't need a shit ton of followers or fans, only you, the listener, who's willing to challenge societal norms and standards to create a better world for all of us to thrive in. Let's go. So something that's really awesome when I'm doing a lot of this work is I am meeting people all around the world and across the country and getting to interview people, talking about all the different things that we have in common and just, you know, talking about what's on our hearts and what's on our minds. But 
my most favorite part is when I start seeing people that I've either grown up with, I've done work with, or people who are from my homeland that are absolutely killing it in whatever field they're in. And it just makes my heart so happy. And being able to sit down and have a conversation with them is the best because we, you know, we all have lives. We all have things that we're doing with work and with play and whatnot. So we don't always have the opportunity to sit down. So what better way to be able to connect, reconnect with our friends and whatnot through a podcast and especially someone else that has their own podcast and has been doing a lot of the deep and heavy work that's needed within indigenous communities, um, you know, with women in general. I think we're going to cover a lot of really awesome things today. We're going to see where it goes. But before I go on too much, I want to bring on our guest and that is going to be Miss Marissa. Tell us about yourself. Who are you? What's up, Kola? I am uh, Marissa Baumgartner. My Indian name is Yikik Awa, and that was given to me by my uncle Jughead. If there's any locals listening, you know who that is, I'm sure. Um, yeah, that was given to me when I was 12. It means Red Tail Hawk, and it's just the most fitting uh, name for me. He still comes to me a lot and talks to me about what that, what that name really looks like for me, um, and it definitely plays its role. But uh, yeah, I'm from, from the Umatilla Indian Reservation. And I do a million and one things. I have a million and one things going on. Most importantly, I'm a new mom. My daughter's one. And uh, I also teach early childhood special education on the reservation, working on a collaboration with the Intermountain Education Service District um, and the tribe. And that's been phenomenal. Been doing that for about a year now and really looking forward to this coming school year and just expanding our program even more than we have. Um, and then on top of that, having having my business, Native Women's Wellness Movement, and just bringing healing practices from all around the world, from anybody uh, back to our community, and really teaching mindfulness is a huge focus in all of the work that I do uh, on the Nihaue School Board, doing a lot of work there. And uh, my partner and I also just started a public benefit company called Ayayani Agronomy, so we're looking forward to um, bringing regenerative farming into our community and uh, sustainable housing uh, out of hemp. So literally a million and one things going on in my life constantly. I still am learning how to juggle it all on top of being a mom. So yeah, just uh, doing all the things like always got my hands everywhere. <laughs> so multifaceted. I love it. I mean, and that's kind of it what a lot of us women do but you know I have to say you do it so eloquently and beautifully I mean if people meet you in a room you're so chill and you're so just laid back that you wouldn't think that you have all these things going on every which way because you're also able to tune in and give people your individual attention and make them feel valued in the words that they're saying and making them feel like they're seen, which is what I've always been so drawn to by you because it's just this unique ability of being able to make people feel welcome in whatever space that may be. Like I can be walking down like Main Street and run into you and all of a sudden I'm like, oh, this is my home. <laughs> I'm so proud of it. So, you know, something that I thought was really cool, like I'm I'm gonna touch on this because we've, we've you know, said it in passing, but I've never really got to like pick your brain about it. Happy Canyon. Oh my Round, God. Roundup Court. 
So for our listeners who may not be from the Pendleton, uh, Oregon area or even Oregon in general is we have this local rodeo that I think gets a lot of clout because of its uh, connections and ties to the indigenous people here. We're, we're four miles away from the Umatilla reservation. So I think um, this, you know, this business, this company is really capitalized on that. And so it provides this unique experience for people that come into town. And so we have two different types of courts. There's a roundup court, which is obviously for more of the the citizens of Pendleton or maybe the surrounding areas. Um, That's more, you're thinking like cowgirls, like in chaps and a cowgirl hat. And then we have Happy Canyon Court, which is usually tribal members from whatever surrounding tribe uh, from here. Like we've had people from Yakima, we've had people from Warm Springs on court. And usually it's a Umatilla tribal member. And of course, that's like the Indian side. That's where you're dressing in your wing dress and you got your headband and your feather and your hair and everything like that. So very much cowboy versus Indian sort of, uh, you know, comparison here. But the, the awesome thing about Marissa is that she's been on both. So which I think is a, is a unique experience. How many other girls have done that here? There are four total in 111 years. Mm-hmm. Four four women that have been on um, both courts, Tony Minthorn, Deb Croswell, Katie Harris, and myself. Um, So it's really cool, you know, like awesome. When I think about myself um, now, I'm like, what the heck? I can't believe I ever did that. Uh, I always wanted to do Happy Canyon my whole life. Like totally wanted to be a Happy Canyon princess as a little girl, thought it was so amazing. Like many other young women in this community, do want want to become um but i when i when i first tried out for happy canyon i wanted to do it because i wanted to be a role model for the community for younger women or young yeah young ladies um in our community that's always been important to me to show up as somebody in life that people can look up to there's a lot of negativity in our communities obviously and i have always just wanted to be positive i can thank my mom for that i also can thank my mom for my humble eloquentness um she very much has that same effect on people and i have always admired that about her i've always wanted to be like her in that way and uh yeah so when i you know when i did happy canyon i really wanted to do it it wasn't until i was like actually on the court that i really understood like what i was doing like we were going to all these different parades and other in other towns and we had a lot of um interesting interactions with you know non-native people who are curious and want to learn um and so a lot of those were negative i had a we had a lot of native negative experiences um but also a lot of good ones and i think that for me Um, especially being a tribal person and my family did such a good job at um, just like totally teaching us about our culture and our family in that traditional oral way of storytelling. And so, um, you know, I had to give a lot of speeches and I was petrified in the beginning. Like I always made Jory go first literally petrified and now like talking to you this morning I'm like what's up like I can get up uh, you know I can get on a microphone and it's no problem um so I built a lot I built a lot of skills in that way I built a lot of skills in learning how to network and communicate and uh, make create meaningful interactions with people to be memorable um to have intentional language and then on top of that like I was just telling my brother the other day my one of my aunt Tara um she taught me years ago you know if you have to get up and speak in front of somebody like I she's like I always say a prayer I ask for you know I ask for uncle Jughead to be there with me I ask for grandma Emma I ask you know I ask for my ancestors to be there with me I say a prayer every time before I have to speak or every time before I have an important meeting and so I was telling my brother you know 
I do that. So there's times, there were times now when I look back, when I was giving speeches in all these other locations in this, in this region about our people, that it was completely channeled information from our ancestors. It was, it was divine prayer. It was education that needed to get out there. So as much as now, when I look back and I'm like, oh, that's so there, there definitely is um, exploitation that occurs uh which nobody wants to talk about in this community um and it happens it's the same thing with the roundup court there definitely is a level of exploitation um it it does balance out i think and as far as like the overall experience of like the skills that i obtained and even the connections and network that i do have now in this community helps me a ton in my professional work in my contract in my contract job i mean if I didn't have, if I didn't know a lot of the people that I do around the time, you know, that I met them was Roundup Court, I, I would be struggling more, I think, right now in the work that I'm trying to do, the change that I'm trying to make. So it's all definitely divine, but definitely was a, I loved Happy Canyon. I had a really, we, we had awesome directors. We had, we were treated really well. Um, it did feel like family. And, you know, I got a scholarship. There was a lot of things that, there was a lot of perks for sure that happened. Um, and every little girl that I saw that looked at me like, you know, oh my gosh, you're so amazing. I want to be like you. I just, I just really intentionally try to make interact positive interactions with children. I always have. And then when I did a roundup court, they asked me to try out and I was super hesitant. I was super insecure. I definitely, I knew how to ride a horse, but not really. Like I still don't. <laughs> not my my partner's a bulldogger and like his family raised horses their whole life like he's a horseman like I like you know I don't I'm definitely not an expert by any means and so um, I definitely have Tony Minthorn to thank for that she had me on like five to six horses a day for several months to, in order to prepare me for the grand entry run-in uh, that happens during roundup and so I went through a whole transformation during that time though I mean those horses uh, were my support system. I was uh, in a very unhealthy and toxic relationship at that time. Didn't realize it, um, was just surviving, uh, learning who I was outside of my family. I was trying to figure out who I was as an individual. Um, and yeah, it was a, it was a very different experience. I also felt like a poser the entire time because I was like, I am not a cowgirl. This is not who I am. Even now, like I still don't have like I don't have any pictures hanging up of me from when I was on Radicorp or anything. I'm like, I don't know. I look at pictures and I'm like, what did I do that? I can't remember. But yeah, it's a really interesting thing I've battled with, especially after coming back from college and having new eyes about, you know, and looking at um, the Pendleton Roundup from a psychological perspective, um, because that is what my education is in, is definitely psychology based, human development based. Um, I struggled with it, especially when I first get, got back, I really struggled with, you know, like, well, what if you, when you look at, if somebody's coming here for the very first time and they are experiencing Native Americans for in person for the first time in their entire life, which a lot of times that is, the, that is an experience that many people have when they come to Roundup. They've never seen Indian people to that extent. Um, so what is, what are their eyes seeing when, they walk to the teepee village and there's barbed wire around the fences and there's guards standing at the at the fence and there's signs hanging up that say Indians have to wear this. Only this is allowed in the arena. Da, 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 da. What is what kind of conditioning, what kind of social conditioning is taking place in that person's mind about the perspective of Native people? Um, and then let alone like 
no, that fence is there. You know, that at one time our people weren't allowed to leave that area. Um, at one time, you know, those regulations were in place because of control. Our people weren't allowed to come to town when the roundup first started. They agreed to come to town so that they could gather with their people. And um, there's just a lot. I think there's a lot of history and a lot of information that's not taught during roundup. There's a lot more that could be done. I also um, have hopes and dreams of like really making the TP Village a family-friendly community experience. You know, having different activities every night, family engagement activities, having an artist come in and paint a mural, do like doing things to actually build community um, and give that experience to tribal families, but also show non-native people like, look how beautiful we are. Like, which people feel that way, anyways. You know, I don't think that most people mean disrespect by any means, but like I said, looking at it from a psychological perspective. It's, it's definitely an interesting thing. It's definitely an interesting thing. And it's, I mean, it is really cool too, because uh, the Pendleton Roundup is the one of the only rodeos in the whole world that does partner with uh, local native people, local indigenous people. And they do, they do honor our people. They do. I think that, I think that everybody does um, in their own way, but there also is just so much historical trauma on that side of the fence that hasn't been acknowledged or talked about. And it can just be really tricky. I think it's something that's really new and I'm sure I'm gonna get, a, if people listen to this, I'm probably gonna get a lot of questions about giving my honest opinions because I haven't really done that uh, vocally. I definitely have had my opinions over the last few years, but finding a way to do that and finding a way to share my perspective in a constructive way, um, that's going to be helpful is, is important to me. I don't want, it's not, my intent is not to hurt anybody's feelings or point fingers. That's not what it is, but we do need to be raw and honest about the education that, that is happening. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I think it's, it's a really weird thing. I, it's <laughs> an interesting part of my life, but also plays the, I've always had this duality of being, um, native, you know, I, I grew up, my parents were separated. So I went back and forth between my native family and my non-native family. So I was always doing a lot of educating to my non-native family about different ceremonies and practices or funerals or uh, songs, stories. I was always providing that education or talking about my regalia to them because they needed to know. They didn't know. <laughs> so um, there's, there's always been this duality of me kind of being this bridge for education. Um, in one way or another. And um, I've grown to appreciate that about myself. I used to struggle a lot with my identity and knowing who I was um, because you get that lateral oppression, that lateral violence that occurs. It's like, you're too native to be white, but you're too white to be native. And it's just like, well, and you know, being bullied by my own family members at times. I, in my family, so I'm not enrolled. I'm not an enrolled member. I'm technically a descendant. And if you want to go into blood quantum, like that's a whole, it's a whole nother situation. But even when I was on the Happy Canyon court, there were people in the community who were not pleased that I was a Happy Canyon princess because I was not enrolled. So, and it's just like, how can you look at, how can you look at a child and tell them, well, you're not one of us when it's like, hmm, Actually, this is a made up concept. So, <laughs> you know, I, I used to struggle with that a lot. And um, at this point in time, I, I don't. And I have, I have no desire to even argue with anybody about who I am because I, I know my culture. I know my values. I know, I know the practices that make up who I am as an individual. And um, 
And my daughter will always know those same things. So it's not, I don't have time to be insecure around that area anymore. It's, it's just about, you know, I want my daughter to have a strong sense of self-esteem and self-confidence. And the only way she's going to learn how to do that is by watching me. And, um, yeah, it's just a, it's a really interesting part of my life, (laughs) but it makes up, it makes up everything that I am, I think. Um, and, and as far as like, this is why you came to earth. This is what you came here to do. Um, you know, even in, even in my day job, like I, I work for the Intermountain Education Service District, which is a state funded, um, entity. And then it's a partnership with the tribe. So I do a lot of like government to government meetings and explaining systems and talking about the processes and the differences between federal government and state government. And a lot of people don't understand that the tribe is a sovereign nation. So there's, there's just so much, I feel like I'm constantly talking (laughs) and educating. (laughs) So it's, uh, it's fun though. I like what I do. I really do. I enjoy it. So it sounds like there's definitely like pros and cons to either one of the courts that you could be on. And obviously you've reached this point of, you know, creator has a plan and there's going to be a purpose in everything. And obviously you've very much taken all that on and have used it to, you know, grow into the woman that you are today and still wanting to educate people. For some people being on Happy Canyon Court and probably being a, an indigenous woman on, you know, the Roundup Court is a place to provide education information like you did. So some people might take that on. Um, Something that you did mention is, we all have definitely noticed it, is that when the kids see the Happy Canyon Princess, it's just this, they get this look in their eye of just like, wow, like you are amazing, like you're beautiful, like I wanna be just like you. So it's a really important role for people to fill. And as a local, um, tribal member and somebody that is kind of like, Hey, these, these two girls are representing our people, like not just our, our local tribe, but indigenous people all together. They're the face of native Americans during this time. And so, you know, I can understand how difficult it must've been to be in that role and have constant judgment. The lateral violence that you're talking about is because there is a lot of judgment thrown on these two roles, on these two girls who are in one of the most pivotal times of their lives. You're talking like age range, 18 to like 22 is Mm -hmm. usually like where they start getting these girls. And it's like, that's when you're really trying to figure out your place in this world. That's really when you're trying to figure out who you are as a person, as an individual, you're kind of getting away from family um, in a sense and trying to figure out who, what, what your purpose is essentially. So it's really, really hard. And I think that's something that local people should understand is, you know what, when you're, you're casting these weird judgments on these, like people probably had the issue that you weren't an actual like tribal member with a number, which in my mind is insane. That's a colonial way of thinking. Um, if we talked about it historically, I really don't think our people were ever like, how Indian are you? Mm-hmm. And our people have always been known to take in anyone who would want to be a part of the people who would be willing to, you know, be an advocate or an ally for our people. Um, you know, I have, uh, I'm, I'm adopted. My adoptive mom is white, but she very much knows all the practices, all the, the teachings within our culture and our tribe here. Like, I remember there was times where we had Native American women coming over to our house to ask my mom how to make regalia and things like that. Um, I think a lot of it was in part to my dad, just being there and being strong and being like, y'all are going to respect her because this is my woman now. So it takes things like that. The other thing is, is like, I know it's hard for people to hear the, the somewhat, actually, fuck it. It's dark. (laughs) It's dark and it's scary. The sides of, and this is pageantry everywhere. It's not just with happy candy. It's not just with the round of court. It is 
everywhere, any type of court royalty, anything. It is super fucking scary. And I don't think that we talk about it enough to have men understand what they are doing. Women were kind of like, we'll, we'll try to empower each other if we're there supporting the person that's in that role. But there's the, the other side of lateral violence of women seeing each other's competition. I fucking hate that. I'm just like, you know what, why can't we build each other up? If you see another woman who's doing an awesome thing, like it's, it's okay. Like her shine is not going to dim yours at all. Like you're fine. Um, but the conversation that I, I would really love to have is that, and you said, if, if people hear this, people are going to hear this girl. (laughs) Um, is the the comments that you might receive on your honesty and transparency on the the dark and negative side this is the thing that i don't like about there's a difference between cultural appropriation and cultural appreciation there's also mm-hmm. um the fetishizing of indigenous women and looking at us as objects rather than humanizing and saying that's a person and i need to respect her and you know you're gonna get me on a whole kick about this like because my jam is safety training and safety planning with individuals, specifically women, and then also advocating for MMIW, MMIR. Something that people did was like the whole um, Pocahontas. And they started looking at Pocahontas. It's like, that's one of the original MMIWs. You realize she was a 12-year-old little girl who was raped and taken away from her homelands. So when we start talking about any type of royalty, like Roundup Court, Happy Canyon, that's something we need to talk about is I've seen it. Like as a person that's lived here their entire life, I see what these directors look like. I don't know any of them specifically. I don't know any of them personally or anything like that. But when you start mixing alcohol with this weird authoritative figure in the community, it gets really sketch in my book. Yeah. And um, yeah, I knew you were going to bring this up. (laughs) You know, I'm going to bring the nitty gritty. I'm going to bring the uncomfortable conversation. I was like, oh, she's going to go there. I know she's going to go there. Um, But yeah. I, yeah, for a long time. So like something else I was thinking about, um, is like, you're so during, so I did it back to back. Like I did happy Canyon. And then the next year I did round of court and it's like a full year obligation. You have, you have something, especially during the summer, there's something every single weekend for four months. And, um, it's a lot, it's a lot to manage. It's a lot on your mental health. And then, um, on top of that, like just being in the public eye, um, you know, knowing that you could go to the grocery store and somebody's going to stop and talk to like those types of things, like be in this town because it's such a small community, knowing that I was in the public eye, um, I don't know. And just having that, uh, demand of being on all the time. Um, it broke me. It completely broke me, especially that second year when I was on the roundup core. I mean, I, when I tell you that I was not in a good place, I was not in a good place. I mean, I was completely, I had no idea who I was. I was completely emotionally like distraught. Um, but I could always turn that, like, I could always turn it on when I had to, I I would be crying in the motorhome and be able to just snap right back on. So the years after even like, like this year really is the first year that I'm like, kind of like coming back out with my voice and showing up and like kind of being a little bit more social because I literally became a recluse. I was like, like get, I would, I have like, I would get social anxiety, just having to go like be social. Um, which I feel like everybody's kind of experiencing after like COVID year and, you know, kind of everything opening back up and whatnot. But, um, part of that too, you know, even now, like, um, in the, these past few years, like going to roundup felt stressful because, um, one, I'm a big believer in like energetics. And I think that, um, 
when things happen at a certain point in time in the year, when the next year rolls around, we kind of can still feel that energy around that same time. And, um, it would feel really stressful and I wouldn't want to see anybody because I go to Roundup and freaking people want to talk to me, man. Like they want to hang out with me. They want to talk to me. They want to, they want to see what I'm up to. They want to know. And, and that's great. And I don't, you know, want to be disrespectful by any means, but a lot of times I'm like, got my shades on, I'm walking. Like, I don't want, like, I'm trying to not talk to people, but another reason that is because there are some men who, um, look at me and think that they could be friendly, like even just giving me a hug and like grabbing my waist. I'm just like, mm, don't like it. Um, and that's not everybody. There definitely are directors that I'm very good friends with and that I still talk to um, to this day. When I see them, I give them hugs and like we're family. You know what I mean? Um, it's not everybody, but it's not even just the directors. It's it's men in general. Um, and I don't know. I have people even now that, that will come up to me and talk to me and be like, Oh, you know, I know you from happy Canyon, or I know you, from, you know, I know you from that time. And, um, sometimes I can tell by the way that they look at me and the way that they talk to me, that there is that fascination because I am an Indian girl and that historical trauma somewhere runs in their blood of, you know, it's when, when Western civilization came this way, there things were not done good to our people, especially our women and children. So it's just there. And it's like you're saying, when you mix in the alcohol, I also think because Roundup has been happening, you know, at that same location year after year, after year, after year, and then you consume alcohol and alcohol brings a lot of dark energy. Um, I'm really in the space of evaluating my relationship toward alcohol um, right now uh, and substances in general. I always am. Addiction is another huge focus of my life. And um, I... I don't know. I don't know how much longer alcohol will be a part of my life. Um, it's not really at this point, but you know, sometimes I'm working in my garden and I want to enjoy a seltzer, you know, there's thing there's I'm, but I'm also like, why can't you just let it go? So I'm really in the space of evaluating what alcohol is and especially energetically. Um, and on top of that, you know, doing breath work and energetic work with the addiction community, with the recovery community, I'm really evaluating how substances affect the energetic levels of people's bodies and what spaces do they bring? Where do you go when you get drunk? Um, and if you go to a bar late at night, you can see it. Like you can see the dark energy. You can see the way that people behave. They're completely out of their body. They're no longer there. It's something else. So um, I think because Roundup occurs in that same place, that energy comes back year after year after year after year. And like we were talking about earlier, like at one time, you know, our people were, were treated really poorly there. I mean, we were held in high regards, but you can't tell me that a drunk native woman in the bar with a bunch of drunk non-native men, that nothing happened. I'm not saying that, you know, I'm not saying the possibility is there, right? We don't know. I wasn't there, but there is this weird thing that happens. And, um, I don't know. I, I also was telling John that like, before I had my daughter, I would like not really be afraid to go places by myself, like stop at the gas. I traveled alone. I've traveled internationally by myself. You know, I'm not, it's never been a big fear of mine. And now ever since I had my daughter, like last night I was, I went to, I went out of town and I stopped to get gas on my way there because I didn't want to have to stop on the way back when it was dark. And I didn't like, I was, I felt fear that something or that something could happen to me. And that's not something that I used to experience. And I don't know if that's because I was young and I thought I was invincible probably. Um, but there's, there are definitely times and there's been times recently where I see that, that fascination with 
the indigeneity of who I am and that there's a different vibe. There's a different look that a man gets in his eyes. It's just, there's different conversation. They kind of weirdly bring it up. They like point out, like, it's just a weird thing. Um, and it's not every man. It's really not, but it's there. And, um, it definitely makes me uncomfortable. And so I don't know, I'm still learning how to set up, uh, verbal boundaries with people in those situations. I definitely am always, uh, creating boundaries energetically, um, and spiritually. And so I definitely always feel like I'm protected and I know that I'm taken care of. I know that I'm supported. I know that, you know, I got, I got my people and, and I'm safe, but I also, but I'm also very aware of that. I talked to my little sister about that recently, actually, you know, like I was at one time, alcohol ran my life, especially as a young person. Um, and I told her, I was like, I'm really lucky that nothing ever happened to me, but I was even in those times where, you know, I would be really drunk. I always was aware of what I, I, I knew that something could happen to me. So I made sure that nothing would, um, even though I was not putting myself in the best of situations, I was aware that something bad could happen. And so I made sure that I was safe. Um, quote unquote, there was definitely a lot of not safe situations. You know what I mean? But there's, I think that I also can attribute that to, um, my, my dad always made made sure that I was very aware of his addiction and the level of addiction that he had. He brought me to NA meetings when I was a little girl. I was a big part of his recovery. And um, my mom didn't like that I went to NA meetings. <laughs> um, she did not like that. She did not like that. My dad was so open with me about that part of his life. And there definitely are pros and cons to that. Um, but it definitely, um, I was terrified. I was terrified of drugs. I would never, I would never as a kid, but for some reason, alcohol, I felt like was fine. Um, I don't know if it was cause everybody else was doing it or I don't know. I loved being drunk. I loved partying. I had fun. I was, uh, but as a high schooler that was partying every weekend, you know, when you think about that, it's just like, no, that's probably not okay. Uh, that's, but I hit it. I hit it really well. People didn't know, uh, obviously the people I was partying with did, but not, not my family. They had no idea. I don't, I mean, there were times, there was a few times where I slipped up and got caught doing some stuff that was inappropriate, but I don't think that, I don't know. I don't think that it was there. Um, what addiction's scary. It's so scary to, like when I think about my mom, um, And like me having my own experience with substances, like as a mother, how terrifying, <laughs> how terrifying is it to watch your child, you know, and just like pray and hope that like, they're going to figure it out, like figure it out. And that's kind of something I was, you know, having conversation with my brother too, is just that like, you know, the addiction is so strong because of the trauma that has happened to our people. The addiction is so strong in our DNA that if you are not aware of that, it will take your life away. It will take it away. And this is why we have to have these types of conversations with young people. They have to know you can't just go to college and party like everybody else. You can't, you have to know that it could steal your life. I'm sorry. Like there's, and that's something that I think has, oh, that has been a key factor in my success because I was always made aware of addiction my whole life as a young person, whether or not that was a good boundary, you know, for a five-year-old, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, but it was not, um, I didn't want to be an addict. I don't want to be an addict. That's my life goal. I will never, I will never, I will never, ever, ever let my life be stolen from me. 
in that way. And there's been times where I was really close and um, I don't know, I, I just, I just really question substances right now. And uh, the negativity that it has brought to our community, um, whether you're, whether people drink or not, or use substances, it's, it's, it's there. Um, and the toxicity that substances bring as far as the way that we treat each other is what I'm talking about. Um, you know, I know many elders who are sober people, but we're, how long have they been sober? Yeah, maybe they've been sober 30 years, but for the first 30 years, what did their life look like? And now they, you know, now they're raising their children's kids and it's, and then they want to be mad at their child. But can you look at yourself and be like, well, actually I created this. I created these patterns. Right. And that's hard to do. Um, but I think that a lot of times people who become sober lose the substance, but keep the mi mindset and the patterns of addiction. And I think that that's why, you know, I feel so passionately about working with the recovery community because people that are in recovery, especially in that beginning stage who are like, I'm doing it and are committed and motivated. And they, they've made that choice for themselves, not anybody else telling them they have to. Um, I, I freaking love it. And I love teaching meditation. I love talking about the brain. I love talking about creating new patterns, new pathways. You know, what does it look like to live the life that you want? Um, because people need those tools and you have to understand if you're getting clean, that's one thing, but you have to also get your mind clean. And, um, it's, it's been a very, you know, very key point in my recovery. I call myself a recovering codependent. I mean, I I've got codependency to the freaking moon. We also don't get enough education about that. Um, and it seems, it sounds like a scary word, but it is scary. It's a scary life to be a codependent. It's feeling scared is always how a codependent feels about everything. Constant anxiety, constant worrying, you know, what's going to happen next? Is the tiger going to jump out and get me? Is my mom going to come home and cook me dinner? Yeah. Um, is my brother going to get a bath? You know, like it's, yeah. <laughs> there's so many things and you know, <clears throat> You bring up these excellent points. I'm going to touch on this and then we're going to move away from it. Um, you're are talking we, about the- Are we going to move away from it? <laughs> talking about the familiarity of why things happen the way they do during roundup time. It's because it's a specific time of year. Alcohol is a huge trigger and almost the, the pushing force behind this entire event. I mean, come on, rodeos, drinking. It's going to happen. Having a good time. Um, yeah, Living your best so life. That's, that's the- <laughs> the whole thing behind Roundup. Um, I, I'm very big on the fact that I believe that there is human trafficking happening. When you have these huge events like this that are a yearly thing that are happening all the time, 111 years, there's definitely human tra trafficking happening. Um, we have several people that come from out of town that can leave without a trace. Um, we have several people coming from out of town that have a lot, a lot, a lot of money and a lot, a lot of access to certain things. So that's my thoughts on that. It's a, a lot of historical trauma. We're coming, um, we're coming to this place of healing, of being able to call it out when we see it, when we recognize it, this whole white savior complex. Because you have to, for people that aren't from here, you have to understand that uh, even just a generation ago, I mean, my parents experienced this and they saw this firsthand was um, our people were poor. They needed things. So especially when you're talking like 1910, like our people were dirt. That's what they were seen as. They were, you know, objects and they were enslaved and they were just 
raped and beaten and killed like they were nothing. So when you're coming from this place of survival and wanting to do what you can for your, your family and provide for them and make sure they're eating and making sure that you're able to go to work sort of thing, when you have this person coming up to you saying, I got this, this, and this, I can help you out. I got money. I can help you and your people. We're, we're coming from this generation that they did everything and anything that they could to take care of themselves and their families. So um, the white saver complex is still very much alive today. We have people, but I will very openly say it in the, in the child welfare system that have this mindset of like, like I'm here to help you, but only if you acknowledge that I'm. Oh my God! Don't get me started you. on and the travel. <laughs> don't get me. Don't get me started on travel. Yeah, I'm like, and I'm like work and freaking education yeah, like, systems. Oh, yeah. oh my God! So. <laughs> But I, I do want to stay focused on this this talk of um, addiction because I actually just a couple episodes ago talked about why and how I got sober. And I'm not going to sit here and say like, I know everything, but talking about addiction is really interesting because of um, you're bringing up these words like codependency is really scary for some people, but people that need to, you know, probably get more research and information and education on it are going to be like your sexual assault survivors, your domestic violence survivors. Mm-hmm. And then also there's this this very close connection between um, alcohol and drugs and mental health. And I didn't understand that until I got older. And you know, you, the other point you brought up that's really interesting is kids change the whole game. Like when you have your own babies, it changes everything. It's like all of us in this whole entire world is opened up and your eyes are just like, what the fuck was I doing that whole time? Cause like you, I was doing things where I should literally be dead or in prison. And I was living this crazy life where I still look back on it. And I, I will tell my parents all the time when I'm getting more calls about trainings and um, work for MMIW um, or MMIR. And I'm just like, how is the uh, 18 year old girl who was struggling with alcoholism and self-esteem and confidence is at this point, I just decided to walk into an MMA gym. But the thing was, I was making all these choices, walking down the freaking highway between Toppenish and Wapato, thinking I was invincible, where a huge human trafficking ring is right there. You can picked up, get picked up on the side of the road and never come back. And I was out there walking around thinking, ah, I'm the shit. Ain't nobody going to touch me sort of mindset. And it's like, we don't talk about this enough. So there's definitely like a a reason why I wanted to talk about um, your whole roundup experience and everything, because, you know, uh, you you still have youth that look up to you that want to hear your advice. But um, I think that if we don't talk about these sorts of things, it's just like bringing more awareness around alcoholism, around violence, around sexual assault, these sorts of things. It's never too early to start these conversations to protect the next generation. So when we're talking about something so local and so big for our community, um, what would be your advice to them if they're wanting to go into that sort of lifestyle, if they're interested in it, what are what would be your advice to them as they go into that, considering all the the, the parts that we've talked about so far? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think that something that something that happened when Drawyer and I were happy Canyon princesses is when we were really good friends. So a lot of times, like you don't get to choose who you're going to be um, like placed with on the court. So a lot of times, like if the girls aren't getting along, then like they're not having a good time. Um, if the girls aren't getting along with their directors who, you know, bring them to the parades, bring them to these different events, then they're not, you know, like, it's not going to be a good experience. Um, but something that I always, you know, something that I will always hold dear to my heart is the fact that when I was on Happy Canyon Court, I educated people on who I was as a tribal person today, who my people were, what they did, what this land is, where they stand, 
da, 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 right? Um, so, you know, something that I brought up to the Happy Canyon board a few years ago, actually, and I haven't taken it anywhere since then because life, um, is that because, because of the genocide and because of the things that have happened, sometimes there are girls who want to become Happy Canyon princesses who have never put on regalia who have never had that opportunity, who have never been told or have never been brought to go dig roots, have never picked huckleberries, have never, you know, uh, hiked around their homelands, right? There's because that because of that disconnection, because of where we're at as a modern society, and we our tribe is very modern um, at this point in time, we are very westernized um, or assimilated, if you want to go, if you really want to, if you really want to call it out um because of that trauma and that disconnection a lot of our families don't have the knowledge and and practices and teachings that we once did so for a lot of times you know being happy being a happy becoming a happy canyon princess is a really 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 pivotal moment to strengthen that identity as an indian person to learn about yourself as an indian person um to explore yourself as an indian person what does it mean to show up and represent yourself as an indian person and on top of that completely er like eradicate the stereotypes of our people. You're a drunk, you're never gonna go anywhere, you know, da, 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 whatever, all of them you could call out. Um, and I, I think that there's a lot of opportunity for the Happy Canyon court to become like this, uh, like a training or like a, this year of like a deep dive, like a masterclass almost of like, of one, how to speak in public, huge skill, such a, I thought it, like, I would never be able to do this right now if I didn't do Happy Canyon, swear to God. I was petrified. I did not have confidence to freaking stand up there and introduce, like my first speeches were, no, I hope nobody recorded those. I hope no one remembers. Like just pet, like shaking and like, can't get words out crying, like shit show. So, um, <clears throat> I think that if you can, if you can remember that you are representing yourself and you are representing your family, who is your family? What does that look like? You know, a lot of girls want to be happy Canyon princesses because their aunties and grandmas and grandmas and grandmas have done it, which is amazing. It's beautiful. It's, it's a, it is a legacy. It's definitely something that is there. Um, and then on top of that, build on to that concept of like, who, who, who are we as matriarchal people? Like, how do you represent, you have this opportunity to re represent the divine feminine of our people. So, which are freaking phenomenal. Like our women are amazing. Our women hold it down. I mean, I truly, I truly think that I can balance and juggle everything that I have right now because I hold that vision in my mind of, I am a native woman. I'm a strong native woman and I can do this but I also care for myself because our people also did have practices and systems set up in place to take care of our mind, body, and spirit. Um, and I think that that's something that we don't teach children. And that's some, that's a, that's a place where, you know, we can be learning about these things because, uh, regardless of if we can remember our practices or not, they're in our DNA. Um, and, and they come out sometimes they come out and sometimes bad things can happen. And um, so I just think that if anybody wants to, I think you should, I think you need to know you need to be committed to yourself. You need to take care of yourself. You need to ask for support. You need to have people to lean on. Probably should get into therapy. Um, a lot of things came up for me during that time. That's kind of where I think uh, my life hit me all at one time. Uh, all of my experiences as a child, everything, all the trauma that I felt, everything that I had pushed out, it had just all hit me all at once. Uh, that was the beginning of it. And then when I like, 
finished up that roundup court year and about six months later it really hit me um and so i think you know be prepared it's a big undertaking but i i do think it's a good experience i don't know i do think it, it's something if you if you know that you're you're going into it to represent yourself and your people and to to educate and to get the education out there then do it i mean that's my biggest advice to everybody that's something you know jory and i really brought a lot of that historical piece in really talking about the history when we give our speeches talking about our practices um not that nobody had done that before but it was a we made a very big point to do it um and that was appreciated it was it was received it was there was yes we had negative negative experiences but people and the directors i mean like they appreciate it that's what people want to learn we can't hate white people forever for not knowing about who we are we have to do the education and that's like the bottom line and you have to do the education from a good place you can't freaking sit there and come from this shitty ass attitude that you know i'm bitter i'm bitter and you fucked me over and you fucked over my people so why should i like you why do i need to work with you no we cannot come from that place anymore it cannot be that way and that's not who we are as indian people anyways we did not treat each other like that we did not treat people that way so um i think that I think that if anything, we need girls. We need girls who are motivated, independent, strong-willed, confident, outspoken, be outspoken. I mean, that's that's the other big thing. Like I'm gonna call it out anytime I can. I'm, I'm not scared to be honest. And I think that that's, that's um, really important to authentically be yourself and find your voice, use your voice, know that you have a voice, your voice is needed right now. Uh, I also find that in the wellness industry, I have some connections with, uh, with some people who don't hear from an, an indigenous perspective in the wellness industry it's something that's really capitalized on right now um which is great you know people need to need to learn how to self-heal um 100 but all of these wellness practices this wellness industry that's who we are that's our that it is us and it's something that was taken away from us and we we kind of have to reclaim that but also show up and be able to educate and teach people so i think that um now more than ever is the time that our children need to speak up. I have the utmost faith in our kids. Um, and that scares adults sometimes, especially if adults have not done their own inner work, um, especially if they don't have self-regulation skills, which a lot of people don't. Most people are walking around as their nine-year-old selves in adult bodies. So um, I just, yeah, I just want any kid that I talk to, I just want to empower them any chance I get from zero to 18. I mean, even past that all adults, anybody I talk to, that's, you know, people need to feel confident in themselves and, and they deserve to feel confident in themselves. Who has told who has beaten you down so badly that you don't that to make you feel like you don't deserve to be here or that you don't deserve to be happy. Like it's, the, it's such a lie. So um, I think it's a great opportunity. You also get like a lot of super cool freaking gifts. Like I still have, so I have so like people gave me like the most beautiful beadwork. Um, like they, I have, I made connections with so many elders. I got to hear stories. I got to talk to people. I mean, like, and I am like such a people person that like I, and I want to know, like, I want to know about your life. I want to know because I'm going to take something away from that. I'm going to learn from you. And I think that if, if you're going to do something like Happy Canyon or even just have a podcast or you know, whatever, art, be an artist, any any creative endeavor. I think that if you can show up and always know that you are simultaneously teaching and learning at the same time, then you will always be rewarded. And 
Um, I have always uh, believed in that. And again, I can thank my mother for giving me the, the confidence to know that anything is possible. If you put your mind to it, she's always empowered me to go for my dreams, to shoot big, to never give up. Um, and everything has always worked out for me. I have come with that mindset. I've shown up with that mindset in my life every day for a long time. And, um, yeah, I actually was like thinking the other day, I was like, I kind of want to go to Cola's house and, um, record with her at her house because she, you live in the house that I grew up in. And, um, I've been doing so much inner child work for over the last several years, but specifically since my daughter has been born, a lot has come up for me in regards to my childhood, um, in regards to my early childhood and my infancy. And like, how do I show up for my kid? Because my mom, my mom was amazing and did the absolute best that she could at the time, but she was not in a good situation and she didn't have the support that she needed. <laughs> so when I think about myself in that home, I was really sad. A lot of the time I was going through a lot mentally and emotionally. I was trying to figure out a lot of things as a child. And, um, I feel like I would walk into your house and just cry because the little girl that lived there, um, would be so proud of of who I am now. And I've been focusing on that so much in the last few weeks because, um, I have everything I have ever dreamed of and more and so much more. And, um, my mind will play tricks on me sometimes to tell me that I don't deserve, you know, or, you know, that, that there's, there's a problem. There's something, something's going to happen. And that's not, that's not how I have to show up and live my life. I get to be happy. I get to enjoy all of it. Like literally like this is, my life is such a fucking dream, man. Like I couldn't, I couldn't have dreamed for anything more than, than this. And I have the most amazing partner, my daughter, my stepdaughter, like everything about everything about my life is so beautiful right now. And, um, so yeah, there's, I had a reading done by a psychic a couple months ago and, uh, she talked to me about, she talked to me about this little girl on the left side of my heart, this eight-year-old girl. And I was like, damn, like, <laughs> you really be knowing you were, you really are a psychic. Uh, but so I just have to, I just have to say this because, uh, so our listeners know, yes, I I'm my office is in my house and you're saying that the house that you grew up in. So when you started saying that, as soon as you said, I want to go in there. Cause I know that that nine-year-old girl, I would just, she would be proud. I just like full body chills. Cause I'm in the house right now. So it's like, yeah, you can feel it. And she probably yeah. everything, and she probably just knows like this could be that channel between just the two different worlds that we're talking about. Absolutely. Right and and I, that, that home has so much spiritual activity. <laughs> At least it did when I lived there. I think all those, all the houses in, in Mission Creek do, but you know, it's just, it's just crazy. Uh, like I told my brother the other day, I was like, dude, I don't know. I don't know what happened, but I feel like all of a sudden I just jumped back into my life. I just... I don't know what the fuck's happened in the last 26 years, but I just jumped like all of a sudden I'm here and I'm like thriving, like fucking thriving. And also like, why do I feel nervous to be confident in that? Like why? Because, because I, because of the toxicity in our community, we want to shoot people down that are happy. We want to shoot people down that are successful. We want to shoot people down because like you were saying earlier, like that, 
competition that happens between women. It happens between native people because, because there's so much fucking trauma, man, every day, like people don't. And that's like the fight that I have in education constantly. I'm like, you do not get to show up in this school and talk to a child like that. You are not going to create more trauma than they're already experiencing in their life every single day. You don't understand. You don't understand what it's like to have a drunk uncle come to your home and need to sleep on your couch several times a month. You don't get that. You never will. So there's, you know, like there's just in, in like going, it all comes from addiction, man. The trauma, like there's so much. And I, we need, we need to see more happiness. We need to see more positivity. We need to see beauty so that our people can also have that. The only way that we're gonna transform our community is that if we have people like you and I who are speaking up about what's going on in our lives, even the ugly parts. And, um, but also like giving back. Like you and I have worked on several projects in this community that like just came from the goodness of our heart and they were thrown together last minute and we just like got her done you know like and and that's like the true res way like let's show up fucking show up for your community are you going to do it or you're going to not you can say that you're from this community and you care but what does you what does that look like what's the work that you're actually giving it like what are you giving back like yeah you can you can say you come here come from here and this res made you and it built you but what does it look like when you give back to your people because if you're like my biggest one of my biggest role models linda sampson She's never going to do anything for the clout. That's never going to be her intention ever. She will always show up for a community and she will show up in those times of deep sorrow and death and be there for people. She's been, I guarantee you anybody, you know, she's been for, been there for almost any family in one, in one way or another, whether that be helping them with their child, whether that be giving them a couple extra bucks, whether that be giving them a ride, whether that be giving them a SIG, like. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the diversity of her, the heart, her heart, it, it knows no bounds. Cause like mm -hmm. you said, if it's with kids, she works with kids every single day, but the community is able to call on her also when there's a death in the family, they know that they can call on her. And that's what I really love about Linda is she just, I'm like, does this woman know the word no? No, if, she doesn't. She's not able to do something. She will still provide some type of either advice or a way or resource or something. And she just has this cool way of doing it too. Like if you sit down with this woman, like you're legit chilling with the homie, but it's like, it's crazy. But yeah. you know, we're talking about a, a little bit I don't want to dive too heavy into it because otherwise we're just going to go off on this tangent, but we're talking like, about- Like, we're going to be time conscious in the- <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm like, okay, fuck that. I forgot what time even means. That's a social construct. It's not even a real thing. Uh, time's not even real. <laughs> <laughs> but both of us having worked in child welfare, I honestly, it's really hard for me to even say, like, I worked in CPS. It's just, it's the worst job ever. Um, hats off to anyone that has the genuine heart to work in child welfare and has the coming from a good place and wants to do good. Um, a big fuck you to the people that go in there because they just want the attention to say, Ooh, I did this. Look at me. I'm doing all these amazing things for these people. Um, but I've, I've also reached this place of understanding the, we have this cultural advantage, native people, indigenous mm -hmm. people. We have this cultural advantage that if we look at our history of our people is we never called for someone to come and help us. We helped each other healing with growth, with progress. Well, everything. and it was just done. You didn't have to ask. No, it was just done. That was just the way, like, this is one of my favorite things to talk about because, uh, 
our American society is a very individualistic culture, like the nuclear family, you know, like the American dream. It's very individualistic, whereas our people come from a collectivistic culture. Everybody, when you look at, uh, for those of you who maybe know psychology, my favorite uh, psychological perspective to evaluate anything on is the Bronfenbrenner um, ecological model. And it's a, the shape of a circle. So like you have the individual in the middle and then on the, on the outside of the individual, you have the family and then you have the community. So that's like your schools, systems, et cetera. And then you have like your external systems and there's like arrows pointing in and out that go both ways um, throughout that whole thing. So you're looking at the individual from a, like a circular perspective on how, when I look at this human, how can I look at them and understand their perspective and their mind based on how they've interacted with their family, with their community, and with the external systems that provide for them, et cetera. So there's like this, anyways, that's what I, anything I do in any of my work, that's the model that I go to if I'm just having a conversation with anybody because of my analytical brain. And in that sense, that training that I have, I, I switch into it automatically now. Um, it's really helpful when I'm working with kids who have experienced a lot of trauma um, to understand, you know, what what types of supports do we need to put in place? Where do we need to go next? Um, but when you look at a model like that, I like it so much because that's how our cultures were. That's that's we are collectivistic culture. We we had systems set up in place that were holistic all all around and this is like the model that like yellowhawk is trying to move to is an integrative medical home so that you have this holistic place of wellness and healing where you can access multiple facets on multiple levels of healing right so like it's like yes that is that is where we want to go we're still a ways from truly at working effectively and in, in a way that i think can be super helpful but that's a whole other thing um but you know, like collect that collectivistic approach. So like when you talk about, you know, an individual who's struggling with mental health, well, what does that family support look like? What does the individual, what on top, like before family, like what is the individual support? On what level can this individual support themselves, mind, body, spirit? Okay, then how does, what does that family support look like? If they're an addict, they probably broke ties with that family, those families already because of just what's, because of being an addict, because of what happens when you're in that addictive lifestyle. Okay, then on, and then you go into the community. Well, a lot of addicts kind of become recluses. They completely withdraw from the community. Then you go into the system. Now an addict is going to be active a lot of times in that system level. Um, and most of the time it's a loop. You can never get out because it, it's a, the same cycle. I have a cousin who's, you know, battling an opioid addiction and has been for several years. And um, she's broken her ties with her family. I was the last one hanging on for a really long time that those relationships are gone. She doesn't have a sense of community other than what is in that addictive, you know, that addiction community. She, I'm sure she has her own community in some sense, not a positive one, but when it comes to the system, you know, she's one of those people who's probably committing crimes to survive in some form or sense, gets arrested, is clean in jail, wants to be clean, knows she wants to be clean, gets out, doesn't have anywhere to go, doesn't have any family to lean on, doesn't have, can't get help from any other systems, but is still expected to check in with her PO every other day, show up for a random UA, get a job, pay her fines, go to court, da, 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 when this person doesn't even have any of those other structures of support in place. So I don't know where I was going with all that, but. <laughs> no, I totally get it. Cause when I was working um, some different cases and hearing how they were being dealt with, my, my biggest frustration was that 
every single person was treated as a, a, a case. Yeah. As a number and as something that they were going to be written down on the statistics to get ready for the next grant. And it was really frustrating to me because it was like, I was being told that my connection to my community was going to be a weakness. And I was like, you know what? That's a big fuck you. Like, I don't like, well, I don't and I think the, the, the other thing that a lot of times we can't understand, and I can thank Lisa, Lisa Guzman for this, who was the CEO at Yellowhawk um, for a few years. She, she comes from a social work background um, and that psychology background. Um, and she explained to me because I was working at Yellowhawk, she explained to me, you have to understand that DCFS is a punitive system. We are, are not, we are, we want to help people. We are, we want to heal people. So DCFS will always be coming to us to find out what a person isn't doing to get them so that they can be punished. We will not do that. That's not the role of this system. They're two completely different types of systems. That's like the the best way to describe it. Yeah. And the best example she used for me, she was like, you can have somebody who's a pedophile, but a pedophile always deserves to be rehabbed. So you have that. But then what I was going to say on top of that is that on top of DCFS being uh, a punitive system, we also have, you know, non-native people who work in that system. The system was created to control native families and to take native people or native children away from their families so you like it's the modern day version of residential schools when you have a non-native person going into a native home telling them that they can't have their children because their home isn't clean enough that's weird clean on whose standards and i even say this about parenting because i've had somebody say to me well i just don't understand how you can have so much compassion for parents and I'm like, well, for some of these parents, that's the way, that's the way it was said. I don't know how you can have compassion for some of these parents that you work with. And, you know, so, which it, it, she didn't mean it in a, in a mean way. Uh, that was not her intention. I don't think it was to be evil um, or, or anything like that, but a parent is always doing the best that they can with the tools that they have. And just because you don't agree with their parenting does not mean they're wrong. Just because your house might be cleaner than mine does not mean I'm a bad parent. So we have these different standards on which we evaluate and have expectations for our families when really it's like, well, what is that standard set on? You know what I'm saying? So it's just, um, these are those deep things that at the surface level, people don't realize they don't recognize. Um, but when you, when you come, when you can think about like, okay, us as a tribe, and then you have, you have to remember that like a completely different government style and community system was put upon our people that was completely foreign and completely different than us. You have to understand that those systems are still controlling our people in every form or fashion, regardless if we're a quote unquote sovereign nation, our systems are modeled off of the Western government and we will never get to where we need to be in that, in that that's, it will never happen. So I don't know when, I don't know where, I don't know if I'll be alive when I see the ultimate systems that I dream in my head. I like have a little bit of a public health background and like psychology and like development and all these things. And so, you know, my, my degree really trained me to create new systems. So all I can see is different ways and it's, it's a slow process. It's not going to happen overnight. Um, but it takes people like you and I who see these visions for how these systems could actually support our families and our children. Um, and, uh, I learned this from a lady named Dr. Um, Sarah King. She's a neuroscientist. Uh, she said, she taught me about the systems loop theory. So it's like, you have like this 
loop like this and then another one that like starts right here next to the loop and goes up so it's like you have to um bleed into the system like you have to like you know hack into the system and then like create a new a new one while you're still in the old system so it's like this really slow <laughs> slow process. And sometimes I'm like, I don't know, I'm really learning about myself and how I can actually impact change in a way that is, um, conducive to my health and well-being. And I'm very much recognizing that a 40 hour work week is, is not going to serve me forever. Um, as well as working in the confines of the system, um, which is why I do see myself becoming a full-time entrepreneur at some point in time, because, I have to start, I just am going to have to create my own systems within my own company. And, and that comes down to like respecting people's time. I don't want you to fucking sit at your computer for seven and a half hours and stare at it so that you can't do anything else in your life. Like, no, <laughs> it's not okay. Like we, the, the system, our, our systems, like in many ways don't support well-being. At yeah. All. Absolutely. And, you know, you, you've hit so many excellent points, especially when it comes to child welfare and the, the system. I mean, there's just so many injustices that are still facing our people today. Um, and it just, it gets me riled up. It gets my blood boiling, but you know, I've really set in 2021, uh, this precedent of if I'm not at least making one person in the room, making their eyes roll or pissing them off like a, Oh, here goes, goes cola again. I haven't done my job. And that's essentially <laughs> why we have conversations like this. It's a ripple effect. You're doing a lot of amazing work. You're setting and laying the foundation, especially for your little girl. And I mean, I'm a huge uh, advocate for like, even if you don't think change is happening, if you get to at least one person, that's going to make a difference it could hit the right person and then it could just blow up and be like, whoa, this is what we should have been doing this whole time. But it's laying down this foundation. It's telling the next generation that, hey, we don't have to constantly be in survival mode. We can be in thrive mode. You can sit here and you can just win every single day. You don't have to struggle. You don't have to deal with uh, mental health, addiction, all these things to get woke. You don't have to do all these crazy yeah. things. You can just, you know, live life. And just I will say one of the things that I feel like, um, is part of my purpose in, in my existence and my lineage, especially in my lineage of women, um, and just women, native women in general, is that because of that codependency that's happened, uh, over the years, uh, our women give and 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 give until they have nothing left for themselves. And that is so wrong. <laughs> It is so wrong. Um, so like one of the things that I am constantly transmuting, especially after that whole roundup court, happy Canyon time was like, I need to fucking rest. I deserve rest. And, you know, like Linda is one of my biggest mentors. Uh, I have learned so much from her. I've been, had the pleasure of having her in my life since the year 2000 shout out. Uh, you know, she's been a huge, she's a, a, was a huge catalyst in my life as far as strengthening my Indian identity, um, and my family's reconnecting my family to a lot of our, a lot of the practices that we had lost. Um, she married my grandpa. So, um, when that happened, a lot of things, a lot of things changed, but she loves to like, uh, she loves to like light a fire under my ass and be like, you're not doing enough. Keep going. If you care so much, if you're so pissed off about the system, then why aren't you doing more? There's money out there. Go get it. Go get it yourself. You know, so, you know, sometimes we have conversations where they get really heated in a good way. Um, but then I also have, you know, sometimes I could walk away from those conversations 
in that space of doubt of like, am I doing enough? And then I have to remember, no, you are, and you don't have to do more because you also deserve to enjoy your life. You also deserve to slow down. You also deserve to go to bed early. You also deserve to take a fucking bath. Like, <laughs> though, like, like rest is like the, and like say no, it's okay to say no. We can say no. That's one of the things too, like, especially when it comes to like cultural things, like you're never supposed to say no, which I respect. If somebody asks me to make a meal for a funeral, I'm not going to say no. If somebody asks me to go cook, I'm not going to say no. You know, like there's, there are definitely times where I absolutely can't say no. I will give the, my last dollar to somebody. You know, I will let, I, I will let somebody stay in my home. I will, those, those things will always be there. I will always feed somebody. There are things from my culture that I will always do, but like I listed off in the beginning, how many things I have going on. So the fact, like, I can't, I think that one of the biggest things that us as native women need to remember is we are doing enough. We're all doing enough. And if we're all working together in the ways that we do, then we should also all get to get to say no sometimes and like put a boundary up, like boundaries are so important and they're not talked about. It's not so like, that's another thing for my kid. Like, I really want her to see me take care of myself. I sit down, I wake my ass up every morning and make sure I get my meditation in. I write in my journal. Um, those things are key and foundational to uh, my mental well-being. I will, I definitely notice a difference of how I show up in my day if I don't get that time for myself. Um, I want her to see me as a woman who cares for my mind, body, and spirit, and also has a healthy relationship with my body and food. So um, there's it's life's just freaking crazy it's cray cray that should be cray cray but you know like i said you always show up in every single room just so eloquent and just so graceful and just so beautiful and you're doing i was a dancer so it probably is you know a lot of it bleeds from a lot of it bleeds from (laughs) thank you debbie kishpah thank you debbie little shout out there if anybody's doing the rhythmic rhythmic mode thing registration is open just kidding um (laughs) all right so you know we covered a lot of really heavy topics and we you know really dove into so many different things the way I like to end our conversations is with some rapid fire and you really only get like two or three words no explanation this is like a challenge usually for most people because you know people like us that like to talk we're like wait 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 wait. I want to explain this so we're gonna go through like maybe four or five of them let's see where it goes what's your favorite drink coffee i freaking love my coffee in the morning it's my favorite time of day uh let's see summer or winter summer summer i winter love winter what's your favorite cake flavor bro i'm gluten-free i can't eat cake but if i could i would have german chocolate no (laughs) um let me see and cats or dogs dogs but i've been really wanting a kitten oh Ew. <laughs> and if you could describe yourself in five words, what are those words? Humble, kind, happy, proud, and strong. Love it. Absolutely love it. Well, Marissa, it has been an absolute honor and privilege. I love this. Is there anything you want to leave the listeners with? be yourself every day do what makes you happy do at least one thing that makes you happy um and reach out i mean you know i love talking to people love supporting people i'm going to be offering um private breathwork sessions soon hopefully i'm going to have some courses coming out 
um, hopefully teach some classes. So if you're local, stay tuned for that. And yeah, I'm just, I'm just here. So <laughs> that's love it. it. Love <laughs> it. Thank you so much, Marissa. And we will Thank definitely you. make sure to link all of your info in the show notes and anyone that has any sort of, you know, questions or they just want to reach out to her. She's an amazing soul and you'll definitely want to create that connection. So let's go. The Enough is Enough podcast was created, hosted, and produced by me, Cola Shippentower. You have to be your biggest fan. And when things are really tough and they're really rough and nothing's working, but there's something inside of you that says, I just have to follow that because you don't know who you are.